College 101 A first-gen guide Hey everyone, welcome to College 101, a first-gen guide. My name is Melissa and this is a segment where we talk about first-generation students' experiences in college. Our goal is to if there's any common experiences first-generational students go through and how we can uplift first-generation students in higher institutions. Tune in, we will be having interviews with obviously first-generation students either currently in college or already graduates. In this episode specifically, we also talk about DACA recipients or undocumented students and kind of their experiences navigating higher education. In this case, we have a special interview with with Alondra, who already graduated from college, and we and I sat down and had a conversation with her about how her experience varies and kind of you know how her experience being like a first generation student but also being an undocumented student and kind of how she navigated that experience and how what she recommends for others to do. But yeah, I really hope I really enjoyed this interview. I felt like it was very obviously it's. I feel like it was very informative, but also I feel like if you are like a person who is undocumented, it's pretty helpful. But also to not feel discouraged, you know, pursuing higher education because like that's if you want to do it, I feel like you should be able to do it and there's no reason why you shouldn't. But anyway, let's just begin the interview. My name is Alonza Carmona. I was actually born in Mexico and then I moved to the United States with my family when I was three years old. I was I worked really hard actually and I ended up getting a scholarship from Posse. So it's like a, it's a Posse Foundation, it's a leadership um, place for four years. And I went to a school in Vermont called Middlebury College, which is a liberal arts college, but it's also a PWI, which is a predominantly white institution. Um, so I lived in Vermont for four years and then I graduated with a bachelor's in psychology. I was supposed to have a minor in education, but I actually never did like the paperwork for it. So I just had multiple classes for the minor. And then I came back to Chicago after my graduation. So I graduated last year and I'm currently working at uh, Edelman, which is a PR public relations uh, agency. Yeah, I think that was everything, right? I've been DACA for the past, I want to say like six to seven years. Another question I would ask you, like, what does it mean to be like a DACA, like recipient, student, all that? I would say for me, it's kind of like a badge of honor, I would say, because just like thinking about the amount of resources that they are available for DACA students is very minimal. I like had an easier time because in Little Village, we had Enlace, which is a, like an organization that helps the community. And I had a mentor there, Kigiano who was very much like helping DACA students because he himself was DACA. So I was able to get a bunch of resources. That's how I was able to get the Posse Foundation. And I was always, and I've been very open about my legal status, just because for me, like, it's not something to be ashamed of. But I do know 
a couple of people who I graduated with in both college actually and in high school who have been very hesitant to say their status. I don't know if you remember this, but there was actually an event called, I think it was like Out of the Shadows or something. And it was like an event that encouraged people who were undocumented and who were DACA to actually like tell their stories because there's a lot of stigma behind it. And I think it's still very much the same just because like a lot of people are like, there are a lot of barriers and like, again, you are undocumented. So there is that sort of like fear of like, because we're not technically protected, DACA is a status that's still not accepted as like a legal form in the US. So like, it's basically like in basic terms, it's a work permit. Like if you leave the country, if you commit like a crime as low as like a DUI, you can get your status revoked like there's very like there's still stuff that like for us it's not very much protected um i know like like i said like my journey was very different because i received the support and i had mentorship pretty early on but just like knowing that other people did not like i knew a friend who went to jones college prep which if i mean you, you know it like it's a very like selective enrollment and like i remember she was like telling me like when she was about to graduate they told her like we don't know how to help you. We're not going to help you <laughs> like in, in basic terms. And like, even for myself, when I was going through the posse process, like I remember I like broke down with my mentor because like basically he told me like, because even though I got posse, like people don't know that we still have to pay for room and board. So that was like out of pocket every year around $30,000. And I was like, I cannot pay 30K every year. It kind of sucked because I realized like, wow, like this little like, stupid piece of paper pretty much is like stopping me from getting a full-time tuition scholarship like tuition paid for you know it definitely has been really hard but I think just knowing that it's been really hard and I've still be been able to overcome that and still help other people in my situation I think that's why I say like it's a badge of honor because not everyone has you know those circumstances or not everyone has that support how was your experience applying to college when you were in high school like you touched about it I don't know if you could go like more deeper with it I feel like other schools have like less help than little village just because we have a we do have a lot of undocumented students I will say it was like I definitely feel like it was easier compared to other people like like you mentioned like little village it's of uh, its population is pretty much like undocumented latinx latino latinas so like i was able to get all that help and the resource particularly because of enlace that was like literally in the school i will say though it was very hard my senior year just because like we all like you know how everyone had to what was the application i forgot the the application you have to fill out for like so like they had workshops for FAFSA and it was literally like me and like four other kids who would be excluded from that, you know, because it was like, there's no point of me sitting in like an hour and a half of this meeting when I like don't need to do anything. So it was kind of, which I was like very much afterwards, just knowing what FAFSA is in the process, I was very much like, yes, like I missed that part. Yeah, just having like those differences where it's like, well, like I'm not going to be there. And then like I mentioned when I had Posse, like I literally made it to the last round. I was good to go, like, you know, and then they told me they're like, but if you do get it, you might have to pay 30K out of pocket every year. And it was something that easily somebody else could have been like, oh, don't worry about it. You don't have FAFSA. You literally only have to pay like 10K, which is manageable but for someone like me that's like i can't do that my mom she was a fat she she's a factory worker you know like my aunt is older like i so it was like situations that i just couldn't afford and i broke down because it was like my whole life i've been working you know i've been staying at school from like 7 a.m all the way to like 6 p.m every day like making sure that i was like having honor roll 
having awards, basically all my life doing stuff so I could succeed in school for someone to tell me my last year that that was impossible. And like, I remember one of my high school teachers who I was like very much close to, he literally told me like the best chance that you have is going to community college and then maybe like transferring into a, a your last two years into a four university, which to me was kind of a slap in the face because I, like I said before, I had worked so many hours, not just through high school, but like middle school, elementary school, like volunteering during my summers, um, after work, you know, just to get into this college for someone to tell me like very easily and offhandedly, like you're not going to make it just because of something that was out of my control. And so, yeah, that, that like definitely hurt but I was again like I I will my mentors were so incredibly supportive like when I remember when I broke down in the middle of the hall like Kinky literally was like are you okay you know do you need anything he wrote me a note so I could miss the next period and stay in the library and pretty much like cry because it was hard for me but if I hadn't had that support like I probably would have dropped out of, of this amazing opportunity which is like the posse scholarship so yeah it, it definitely it was bittersweet I will say but I was lucky because I feel like hadn't if I hadn't gotten the posse scholarship I, I would have struggled immensely how were you able to like cover tuition and housing and all that yeah so I was very proactive and just like researching like like I said like for me and this is why I say it's kind of a badge of honor because I went to posse directly to one of the recruiters and I and I I was really upfront with him I was like look I have DACA I can't afford this I you need to connect me to students who are DACA who are Middlebury who are also posse and they put me in contact with like two students who are currently in college who are also from Chicago and they told me you know and I and I remember calling them in my senior year and I was like how did you do it is it possible and they pretty much were like yeah like you literally what I ended up paying for college for four years was like 1k every year so in total it was like I paid maybe like 6k for all four years which is like if you really think about it that's really 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 cheap compared to any college and this is like considered one of the top colleges in in the country so it's, I, I think I got saved because my mom also wasn't making that income and so what they do what some colleges do if they have enough money is that they kind of they tell you okay based on your income like you're only paying like 25 to 10 percent and we'll cover the rest with merit no not merit scholarships sorry um with like scholarships that are um need-based so again more about like your college experience like now fast forward like when you enter college for the first time how was your experience like how was your freshman year your first day of school something like that um I would say I feel like my first and second year like they were better because going in I was more naive and that's the thing that saved me like I did not know much I went into the school thinking I've made it I've had a scholarship, I have a scholarship, um, I'm doing great. I, again, was very much lucky because I had a, a group of peers who were there for me, who were Latinx, who were first gen, through a posse. Posse helped a lot because as you know, like we have a group of 10 students who go in. And so we kind of, we definitely supported each other. And that school has three posses. So one from Chicago, one from New York, one from LA. And it was a community that you could really reach out to and ask for help. I also had a mentor who was a French department chair. He, William, like, we love him. He was very much helping us all through four years. I remember he was, like, one of those people that, like, if you had problems, like, people would just go to his office and talk to him for hours and he would listen. So it, it was a lot of help that I was receiving. And again, like, I, I will say I feel like 
I didn't know just like how, how do I explain this? Hold up. I'm just trying to get my words together. I feel like just going from a community like Little Village that's predominantly Latinx, I felt like this was my community. And then going into somewhere like Middlebury that, again, in the middle of the woods, rich, white, it's so different. Just to put it into context, like Middlebury has a couple of like princes around the world. They have like, I think like maybe more than 50% belong to the 1%. So it's, it's pretty like high income and it's very different and you can tell. It's kind of like you could tell after a while the microaggressions get to the point where like they do get to you because it's remember it's like four years of like stuff that even now like I will be honest like I'm still kind of processing after graduation because it's things that you don't even notice that kind of like you brush off and you're like nah it doesn't matter like it's you know they that like in Little Village I was like you know you'd say like oh somebody beat you up like you have that physical like and microaggressions don't work like that like you can't see them you brush them off whatever but it comes after a while I think for me it was like my fourth year, I was really feeling it. And especially as a woman of color, like you're getting not just like those microaggressions for being a woman, but for being a woman of color. And the beauty standards in my college were very much like white, skinny, heterosexual girls, right? Like for me after a while, I was like, I was very much affected. I remember there was days where I'd stay in bed and it took me a while to figure out why. That's why I say like my first two years, I was naive. I didn't really know much. After those two years, my junior senior I feel like it it was just getting a lot to me going through the education system and seeing that you don't really need it and it's such a gateway like that's a thing that really frustrates me now because it's like I wish my generation would have been been given the choice of like okay you can do something else like you don't necessarily have to go the route of like education like you can literally go to trade school which honestly like what I'm, I'm getting paid now here at this like firm that's one of the biggest PR firms in the world like I'm probably getting paid less than somebody who went to trade school it's something that I wish people would have emphasized like you don't need to do this at least in the Latinx community they wouldn't emphasize education a lot because like education is really good if you have your dad and your mom who are like CEOs who are like lawyers who are like dentists because that's what gatekeeping is like you literally just need this piece of paper which quite frankly like a lot of people paid for instead of actually earning especially in a schools like PWIs so it's kind of frustrating because I feel like I I could have done more like I wish I would have studied studied the arts I wish I would have just given myself a break especially during COVID. So what are some things like struggles that DACA students encounter and like in comparison to other students who are not DACA like there's two things that I can think of at the top of my head. One of them is obviously like just that struggle of how am I going to pay for college? <laughs> it's so expensive. People still want to go to it. Like, obviously, I'm not saying don't go to college, um, but like if, if that's what you choose to do. Something else that for me, at least, like because my school was so close to the Canadian border, I remember like this girl that we always used to hang out with, like she would kind of make insensitive jokes that for me, like back then weren't as insensitive because I was like, she's my friend. But like every time we would meet and she was also positive. So like, keep in mind, we have meetings like every week, right? And basically every week in front of everyone, she would be like, when are we going to Canada? When are we going to Canada? And it's like 10 people in this room. And it literally came to the point where like everyone was just telling her like she 
she needed to shut up like she cannot be saying that for me again in this room it's kind of embarrassing because it's like I, well at first it was kind of embarrassing afterwards I was really annoyed because I was like we're literally telling you that you you're basically saying that you would rather exclude me from this trip than like not go you know what I mean she had issues but like that's one of the things and I can like even just like other groups of friends like don't tell me like oh do you want to go to like Acapulco do you want to go to like you know different places around the world and I'm like I can't do that we have to renew our DACA every two years which I think they raised it which was I think it's now seven hundred and fifty dollars I know it used to be like five hundred dollars and they raised the prices now so I am very lucky that I can afford it but like my sister, she was struggling for a while to renew her DACA because she could not afford $750 to renew just for two years. Like you can't work if you don't have that. So it's kind of like, a, it does not make sense to me. Those are the, yeah, those are the three that I'm, I'm thinking of right now. Um, I th- also like, like you know, because I have a couple of friends who are DACA. <laughs> I don't know. This is to everyone. Like, obviously, it doesn't apply to every DACA person. The jokes where you're like, oh, I'll marry you. Don't worry about it. Like, I'll fix your, your papers. Like, just marry me. One of my friends was saying, like, yeah, it's kind of because it's like, you don't understand the legal process behind that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, some people get arrested for that. Other people, like, you need to pay thousands and thousands of dollars. When interacting with, like, faculty and, like, people who work in the university, like, did you find any, like, barriers in communication? Oh, yes, 100%. Not just for being DACA, but also just being first gen. I remember very vividly, like, one of my neuroscience classes. I ended up missing half schooling, like, the classes for that year. I blame the professor, actually, because at the beginning of the year, I gone to her and I told her a mistake on the school's part. And so she came to us and was saying, oh, you only need to attend classes once a week instead of the two weeks that is scheduled on RN. I went to her, I asked her, I guess there was a miscommunication because it was one class and one lab instead of two classes and one lab. And that's what she was referring to. But at the end of the day, I ended up only attending one of the classes instead of the two days of the week. And that's how I ended up only attending 50% of the class. And at the end of the year, of the semester and at the year, I reached out to her and then she hits me back with the, oh, you've been absent. Like, what is, what is happening? Like, and I was like, what do you mean? I've been going to Tuesday classes every day. And she said, no, it's Tuesdays and Thursdays. But my thing is, and I told her, I was like, how did you miss me not being in class? 50% of the time when ours, our class was like 20 people. And mind, mind you, I had had a, like multiple classes with her before. She knew me at that point because I was a, uh, a, a senior actually. So I was like, how did you miss me not being here every Thursday? And how are you telling me that I missed 50% of the class? Literally like a month before we had to take finals. So that really was, and she was a white professor. She was older, especially STEM, just STEM courses are really hard. And so she wasn't like, no se prestaba, you know what I mean? Like, no, she wasn't kind of like, oh, um, I understand like what you're going through or like, oh, like here get some free time. And quite honestly, like even going up to professors for help, I was kind of very much like intimidated because in this school, like if you didn't get an A, like if you got a B plus in a paper, like that was like not good. Like you had to go get it corrected. Like you had to basically like try to get an A. If you come from the same background as them and you have similar likes, like you're going to connect, 
you want to be able to be, feel comfortable going to their office hours, you're going to be more, more likely to reach out and ask for extension. I was like from the city, from low income, first gen. My parents, you know, were not as involved as other parents. Do you wish that there were some like more support for DACA students in your institution, like in your university? In my university in particular, I felt like they were really trying to help. Like they, for me, I got my renewal, like they paid for my renewal twice. So I was able to do that through them. I didn't have to pay anything. Um, they also had like a lawyer on call in case anybody needed anything. There was a support group through one of the orgs that I, I led actually. We had a support group, although it didn't really last long. Again, just because like people were kind of hesitant to participate and to make their status known. I do wish they'd be more public with it. Like when I found out that I could have my DACA renewal paid for, like that was because I reached out to somebody that worked in Posse who was uh, a liaison. And I, I went up to his office, you know, and I was very much proactive and I was telling him, I don't know if I can pay for this. Like, is there something that somebody can do? Um, talking to other DACA students and then and then they were the first ones to let me know like hey talk to this person it was a lot of digging on my end where whereas like somebody else probably they would have been like oh here's the information like you know you can get this paid for and even people that I gave that information to like I they didn't know like if it wasn't for me they weren't going to know so just making sure that that information is public but I will say like I've heard of stories where other students and other colleges didn't get that help. It was very much like, oh, just don't know, like figure it out yourself. But in terms of like Middlebury, they were pretty good. Like, I guess more to end this interview, like mm -hmm. what are your thoughts about how the U.S. treats like dreamers and like DACA students in general? Oh yeah, I have a lot. <laughs> I have a lot to say on that. I do. It's very interesting because like, I remember somebody told me that they hated the fact that they accomplished dreamers because it means that you're just never going to achieve that status. Like you're always continually dreaming of the state. And that does make sense because when you look at like every presidential election, right? Like it's always like one of the main points. Oh, like we're going to give dreamers like a, a path to citizenship. Like, oh, we're going to help immigrants like achieve their status. You know, like immigrants have been working here their whole life who have been paid for work that nobody wants to do. Like stuff like that they do it every year i mean every like election period they do it every time and every time they never do anything and it's kind of like dangling that that like status of like oh if you vote for me like you'll be a citizen or like you'll get like citizenship or whatever um and they don't and they still play with us like every, and i like i think and i'm not correct i even remember like trump at one point was like uh if you don't like pass this legislation like I will never give like DACA, DACA individuals like citizenship which was like playing with that you know what I mean like this is not a chess game this is not like this is literally people's lives who are you are basically saying promising something to and and saying oh you know you're going to have a path to citizenship but at the end of the day it's we're pawns and so that's my biggest issue and quite honestly, it's just the fact that, like, it's a joke. Like, paying $700 for us to, like, work here, you know? Um, and we're kind of, like, in a cage because we can't leave. And if you want to, like, if you get this amazing opportunity to work out of the country or do this, like, 
amazing opportunity to do an internship or fellowship outside of the country. Like now you have to pay an extra like 1K just to go outside of the country and then you need to return. So it's just, it's, it's very frustrating. And in my opinion, like I'm, I feel like a lot of people are kind of waking up to that and just realizing that like maybe it's not as great to be in the U.S. just because of all of like that's happening in this, in this country. Um, and just like the lack of protection that like DACA individuals have, like, I don't think people understand that. If I get a DUI, I'm pretty much, I cannot renew my DACA status. If I, for some reason, like I'm carrying cannabis, which like, if you really think about it, like everyone out is like smoking or carrying cannabis. And if you get caught, you get a ticket. If I get caught, like I could be facing deportation because like we have to be twice as perfect we have to be twice as careful even though like in u.s law like we're still protected right and quotations are not because you know we're not like we're protected as long as we're able to produce and give money back to the government so yeah and honestly like for me i'm still thinking if i even want to stay in the states like for me i'm very much like like i I feel like there's better countries out there who definitely appreciate um, immigrants like myself. Totally. And my last, very last question is like, what do you personally hope to see in the future for DACA recipients? I mean, the obvious answer is probably, you know, citizenship because we've earned it. We've been in the same country. We've paid our taxes. We probably know more about history than actual U.S. citizens. Um, and so like, definitely we deserve our citizenship. Not that, not that we're going to earn it because we know. Not that we should be given, but we've earned our place here. And then also just, I, I really wish that a lot of individuals who are DACA would be more politically involved. And it's kind of a struggle because obviously there's um, barriers. Like if you're not born in the US, if you're not a citizen, you can't run for exposition. And I wish it would change that because like I said, like a lot of people have, who are DACA have grown up in the U.S. and are themselves American, consider themselves American. And so why not have this opportunity to voice our ourselves politically and to change, you know, what's happening. And that's probably because the U.S. doesn't want us to be in charge, obviously. But yeah, I wish, I wish we would change that and have more people who are DACA being in politics for sure. And also, so the huge thing, like if you're DACA, a lot of the time you actually don't qualify for, what is it called when the government gives you financial like aid, um, public assistance. Um, so a lot of DACA individuals actually, they don't, they still don't qualify for public assistance. Like I think my sister was telling me she can apply for, um, it's either LINK or SNAP, the SNAP that they give you for money because of her status. I think it was barely changed that we could apply for um, unemployment. So stuff like that, that we should be able to get like we're not having access to and people kind of forget that. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Again, we interviewed Alondra, a, a already graduate from college. Um, I felt like this interview was really good, especially because it talks about her experience being an undocumented student, but also being like someone who attended a PWI and how also that experience kind of impacted, I guess, the person she is and and kind of like how important it is to also uplift first generation students experience just because it's very unique to themselves, but also other people. 
But yeah, in general, I really hope you enjoyed this segment. Again, this is College 101, A First Gen Guide, and I am your host, Melissa, and be sure to check out other parts of this series. College 101, A First Gen Guide.